Stuart Smalley um, is a guy that we laugh at. People like Stuart Smalley are people we poke fun at, but today I want to show you how easily you and I can become Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a man whose very life and existence revolves around his weakness. In other words, every choice he makes, every decision he makes, it is made in such a way so as to reflect what he sees in himself as his failure, his shortcoming, or his weakness. The tendency is there for all of us. Uh, failure and weakness may have dominated your life for far too long. That's why people make New Year's resolutions. And raise your hand if you've made more than one resolution and failed to keep it. Raise your hand if you've made the same resolution more than once. Yeah. See? Stuart Smalley is a great example of a life that's spiraling downward because he cannot leave behind his weakness. 2021 lay ahead of us, each of us, like a 12-inning baseball game. Some of you, sadly, will strike out early, and you won't be able to get back into the game. You'll spend the remainder of the year on the bench, pouting because of your failure, pouting because you can't seem to overcome your weakness. But let me challenge you with something. Do you realize that if you were a big leaguer, if you were a major league baseball player, and you struck out seven times out of 10 at-bats, you would bat 300 And if you batted 300 in the major leagues, you'd make millions of dollars a year, and you'd probably wind up in the Hall of Fame. Why is it that the seven failures so often overwhelm us to the point that we can't lose sight of the failure, we can't lose sight of the weakness, and focus on the success? See, too often it's our inability to hit that high fastball, whatever that high fastball is for you. Might be weight loss, might be some sort of personality quirk, might be some sort of time management tool. We can't seem to hit that high fastball. It keeps us on the bench. We remain focused throughout the year on our weakness while our strengths go undeveloped. So over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at what I consider to be some of the most crippling misconceptions to the faith faith walk. I mean, ideas that people just latch on to. Uh, thought patterns that we embrace, ways of looking at ourselves, our circumstances, even God, the faith walk that are crippling God's church. Here's misconception number one. Let's just get right into it. Personal weakness disqualifies me from fulfillment. Personal weakness disqualifies me from fulfillment. Now, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that this is a crippling misconception in the faith walk. Just because you, like me, struggle to overcome a weakness and can't seem to get a handle on that rough part of your personality or that sharp edge to your self-image, just because you can't seem to get a handle on it, just because you can't seem to leave it behind you in the rearview mirror, that doesn't mean that you're disqualified from fulfillment. If you are f- familiar with Stuart Smalley, then you're aware that in spite of his daily affirmation, his life continued to revolve around his weaknesses, which deprived him of any sort of fulfillment in his life. The same could be considered when it comes to our spiritual lives. You see, we need to learn how to look on our failures, our weaknesses, as stepping stones. 
Stepping stones toward success, toward competence. But too often, we do the opposite. Too often, we begin to focus an undue amount of time and energy trying to camouflage or overcome or cover up or deny the weak areas of our lives or our personalities. Look, I am simply not good at certain things. You are simply not good at certain things. In fact, let me introduce you to someone you may or may not know. This is Tom. Everybody say, hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Very good. Tom works at a large company. Tom is struggling at work. Everybody in the office around Tom seems to be driven. I mean, they are real company men and women. They're driven by some inner force to excel at their profession. They're hardworking. They're talented. I mean, they're real company people. But then there's Tom. Now, don't misunderstand. Tom's a hard worker. Tom is honest. But Tom doesn't live for his work. Tom doesn't live for his career. Tom applies himself. Tom works hard. He just lacks that little bit of zip that other people seem to possess when it comes to their drive or their desire to get ahead, to excel, to make more this year than they made last year. That's not where Tom's loyalties nor his motivations lie. Tom's real passion lies with his family. Tom's been married for 25 years. He has three kids. Tom loves serving in his church. In fact, Tom's church and the work he does is appreciated by all those around him. That's what motivates Tom. His love for his bride of 25 years, she's still the love of his life, his service in his church. But due to this workplace environment, Tom constantly feels this pressure to live for his work, to put in more hours than the next guy. Tom's decided then to spend less time at home and at church and spend more time trying to get ahead at the office. I mean, after all, in his work environment, everybody seems to be screaming, look, Tom, get with it. Pick up the slack. Your lack of drive is a weakness. So what does Tom do? Tom puts in more hours at the office. He spends less time at home. Tom resigns his position at the church of service and leadership. He purchases, excuse me, he purchases. He listens to a podcast. He finds a podcast online. The podcast is entitled Becoming a Man of Influence and Success. Man, that sounds exciting to Tom. Tom's thinking, this is exactly what I need to overcome my weakness. This is exactly what's going to fill that empty place in my soul that others seem to have found in their work. So he sets his eye on a promotion over the next 12 months, and he works hard. He puts in more hours than he's ever put in before. But he does so away from his real passions, his family, and his church. Now, fast forward several months. The journey has been costly. And to further frustrate Tom, now he finds himself passionless. You see, not only has he failed to find passion in his work, which some considered his weakness, now he's cut himself off from those things that gave him the most passion, his family and his church. He still hadn't improved that company man image. His life seems even emptier because the thing that once gave him the most pleasure have now suffered severe damage. Do you know what Tom's life demonstrates? That just because you have a weakness, that doesn't mean you can't be fulfilled in this life. It's one of the most prominent misconceptions that I wish witness all too often. Husbands who aren't good with money. 
but they watched three hours of Susie Orman on PBS on Saturday morning, and they decide, I'm taking control of the family finances. And they grind through the budgeting for the family for the next 12 months. Meanwhile, there's mom. There's his wife. She's perfectly capable. She's managed the family books for years, but he's decided this is a weakness in my life and I've got to make things better. You could flip it. I've known women who couldn't cook like their mama. And they spend hours and hours and hours in the kitchen trying to prepare meals for their family because they see that as some sort of weakness that they've got to overcome if they're going to be fulfilled in life. I've seen business people who just flat out aren't very good with kids, but they see it as a weakness. And so they're the first to volunteer. I'm going to go teach the kids in Kids Jam. No thanks. We'll do better without you. You understand? I've seen fathers who aren't very athletic at all, like Andre, <clears throat> trying to raise the next Patrick Mahomes, you know? I mean, come on. From the pages of uh, John's gospel comes a very important biblical principle. In fact, if I put the misconception up there one more time, here it is. Personal weakness disqualifies me from fulfillment. How does that wind up? How does it play itself out in our lives? The result? We live weakness-centered lives, leaving our strengths underdeveloped. And that's exactly what the enemy wants from every one of you. In 2021, when you sit down and you consider making New Year's resolutions, I'm willing to bet that every one of those resolutions is tied to what you perceive to be some sort of weakness in your life. And if you're not careful, 2021, your life will revolve around that weakness and you will leave your strengths underdeveloped. So again, from John's Gospel, we're going to talk about something that's as relevant today as it has ever been. The scripture points to the source of our frustration. It also points to the source of our salvation in the coming year. Look, for those of you who are hoping to find a better life or more fulfillment in 2021, I offer Peter, the apostle Peter, a man who realized that simply by loving God, he could find himself. Now, before we get to Peter, we're going to read the end of chapter 20. Look at chapter 20 and verse... 30. John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He's referring to his gospel, not the Bible, okay? The book is the book of John. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Interesting word there. Not just eternal life, it's the same word Jesus used in John chapter 10 and verse 10 when he said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. He's talking about not only eternal life, but when you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, he becomes the authority in your life. You decide to follow Jesus, there's supposed to be a more rewarding, a more fulfilling life with that decision. Now, these two verses at the end of chapter 20, they constitute John's motivation for writing this gospel. John says, the reason I wrote this is so that you would understand that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. John wanted his readers to know that Jesus was the Son of God, and you should follow him. When we get to chapter 21, chapter 21 serves as like an epilogue. 
it, it answers some very important questions, uh, one of which is, whatever happened to Peter? Now, look, I don't know how much you know about Peter, but Peter was always the first to volunteer. He was always the first to stand up for Jesus. He was always the first to defend his Lord until Jesus was arrested. And on the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. Three times he was asked. He was accused. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? No, I am not. I don't even know the man. Imagine this leader of the disciples, now this broken, humiliated, discouraged individual. The last time we read about Peter, it's in chapter 20 and verses 6 through 8. Following the resurrection, Peter and John, they run to the empty tomb. John says, we looked inside, we saw the undisturbed grave clothes, but only I saw and believed. Peter was still trying to put the pieces together. Peter was trying to figure out what it all meant. So, Along comes chapter 21, and John helps us understand what happened to Peter. Look at verse 3 of John 21. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. In other words, I've had enough of this disciple business. I'm going out to fish. Now keep in mind, this is following the resurrection. Peter has seen Jesus alive after the crucifixion. He should have been rejoicing. He should have been planning his strategy, determining his next move. But instead, Peter is discouraged. And add to that, we'll read in a moment, all the other disciples go with him. Okay, let's go catch fish. They fish all night. They don't catch a thing. Keep reading. We'll go with you, they said. So they all went out. They got into a boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, imagine Peter is thinking to himself, I failed my leader. I'm broken. I'm strong in some areas, but I don't want to talk about those areas. I want to focus on my weakness because when Jesus really needed me, I crumbled. So I'm tired of the disciple business. Let me go back to what I know. Let's go back to fishing. They fish all night. They catch nothing. If you know the story the sun is coming up and the boat is coming back to shore and they see someone standing on the beach. Well, it's Jesus. They just don't know that yet. How's the fishing? Jesus asks. Oh, we've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. Zero. A goose egg. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Pfft, who is this guy? One of them says, I think it's Jesus. Let's do what he says. They throw the net on the other side of the boat. It is so full of fish. 150-some fish. They can't even pull it in. Peter then realizes that's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He runs to shore. At some point, Jesus pulls him aside because Jesus has prepared breakfast. And the two of them have a very intimate conversation, which begins in verse 15. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The Greek language has more words for love than we do. The Greek language has multiple Greek words for the one word that we use, love. For instance, I could tell you, man, I love Oreos and milk. I could then turn right around and say, I love my wife. I've used the same word, but you know, because you know me, that's a very different kind of love, right? Well, the Greek language compensates for that by giving us multiple words for love. When Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? 
He's using the supreme form of love, agape love. It's sacrificial love. It is supreme. It's loyal love. It's the kind of love God has for us. So, Simon Peter, do you love me supremely? Do you love me the way I love you? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Interesting, different word. Not the same word Jesus uses. Peter uses the word phileo, brotherly love. So, follow me. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me supremely and loyally? Do you love me the way I love you? And Peter says, come on, Jesus, we're tight. We're buddies. I'm very fond of you. Sure, I love you, man. Totally different connotation. Well, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Same word, same question, same response. Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that we're tight. Man, we are close. You and me, we're like this, man. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? First of all, let me point out two things. Three questions focusing on the love relationship. The love Jesus has for Peter versus the love Peter has for Jesus. Three questions of the love to overpower three denials on the night Jesus was betrayed. When he gets to the third question, Jesus changes his word. Jesus says a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, are we just buddies? Is that what this is? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that from my vantage point, we're just buddies. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. What in the world does that mean? Well, John's about to clear it up. Verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Okay, wait a minute. How simple is that? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't we need to talk about my weakness? Don't we need to address my failure? Don't we need to discuss how on the night you were betrayed, when you needed me the most, I denied knowing you three times? Jesus says, look, I know how this works. I know that my love surely overpowers your love for me. I know that how I love you is exponentially greater than how you love me. But we're not here to talk about that. I just want you to follow me. We're not going to focus on your weakness right now, Peter. I just want you to follow me. Keep reading. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. John's referring to himself. This was the one whom he had, had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? Verse 21. When Peter saw John, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? You just told me somehow I'm going to die one day. What about him? Jesus answered, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? You need to keep it simple. You need to follow me. Now, if you know anything about Peter, you know that he's known for his charisma. Again, Peter was always the first to volunteer. Peter was a leader among the disciples. His name means the rock. I wish my parents had named me something 
that meant the rock, right? He had stood up for Christ on a lot of occasions. But at the beginning of chapter 21, he's discouraged. He's defeated. He's beaten. I'm going out to fish. I failed at this preacher business. I'm going to go back to what I know. Incidentally, we have no proof that Peter was ever a good fisherman. We don't know that for sure. Maybe this quote-unquote sacrifice to leave behind a life as a fisherman and go follow Jesus, the preacher from Nazareth, maybe it wasn't such a big sacrifice after all. Who knows? Maybe Peter got tired of working all day long for a meager catch of fish to try to provide for his family. One thing's for sure, regardless of how good a fisherman Peter was, when he decided to go back to his previous profession, I'm going out to fish. They toiled all night. They caught nothing, according to verse 3. So please hear me. It is not an overstatement to say that at this moment in Peter's life, his whole mindset was revolving around his weakness rather than his strengths. Now, I don't know if I'm talking to you, but I'm certainly talking to me. Because I'm that guy that can bat 10 times, get three base hits, and scold myself for the next three months for striking out seven times. I don't know if I'm talking to you, but I'm certainly talking to me. Because no matter how many of you say, hey, thanks for what you said, or thanks for what you wrote, or thanks for that card you sent, or thanks for the call, my mind immediately goes to the time when I missed it, or I forgot, or I failed. At this moment in Peter's life, it didn't matter how often he had stood up for Jesus. At this moment in Peter's life, it didn't matter he was the leader among the disciples. Not every disciple could have said, hey, I'm going fishing, and had all the rest of them say, hey, I'm going with you. But Peter could because he was the rock. At this moment in his life, his life is revolving around his weakness rather than his strength. How in the world can this happen? That's question number one. How does this happen? How does somebody go from successful in the eyes of most, wow, look at this guy, to a life that revolves around failure or weakness? Maybe you've recognized this tendency in yourself. You're wondering, why do I do that? Why is it so easy for me to overlook the progress I've made and zero in on this one little hiccup, this one failure? How in the world does it happen? Why does all of my mental acuity revolve around this one area that I just can't seem to improve? I think there are several ways this happens. First, It's because of humanism. We live in a culture that is saturated by humanism. Humanism is a religion, and the sermon humanism preaches is the betterment of self. We live in a humanistic culture, and the religion is, hey, better yourself. The religion is, hey, you don't measure up, so here's what you need to do so that you can better yourself. Humanism speaks loudly and clearly through social media and every other platform that saturates our culture and says, hey, if you've got a weakness, you better figure out a way to hide it. You better better figure out a way to camouflage it. Who puts their weakness out there on Facebook for everybody to see? Maybe some, but not most. There's another reason it happens, and that's because of our own critical spirit. Now, Now I know I am talking to some of you. 
because you got this streak in you that notices the downside before you'll ever notice the upside. You got this way of your personality that you notice what you don't like about someone or something before you'll ever appreciate what you do like. And eventually, because you're so critical and so quick to point out somebody else's shortcomings, that sphere of influence expands and you find yourself in your own crosshairs. Now you're critical of yourself. And that's how it happens. And then there's one more I want to lay on you. This is an interesting concept. Planned obsolescence. Do you know what this is? Planned obsolescence. It's the idea that Whoever I am today won't hold up 10 years from now, so 10 years from now, I'm going to have to reinvent myself. You see, the man I was 25 years ago can't stand up to the scrutiny of today's culture, so I've got to reinvent myself. The man you were 10 years ago, the woman you were 15 years ago, the mother you were 20 years ago doesn't have what she needs to be successful today. You've become obsolete. It's an unhealthy commitment to an ever-changing ideal. That's why we feel like we've got to reinvent ourselves. We can't be who we were five years ago because who we were five years ago is way out of style. We've got to reinvent ourselves. That's how it happens. So what, what do we do? We start revolving around our weakness. Here's another good question. Well, what can I do about it? I'm sure, now, if you'll put yourself in Peter's position for a moment. Peter's discouraged. He's confused. He's still not sure what all this means. Now you're having breakfast with the man you betrayed. Not betrayed, but the man you denied. The man you failed. The man you let down. I'm sure Peter wanted to apologize. I'm sure he felt ashamed. I would have... Perhaps he had a lot of unanswered questions. But regardless of how Peter felt at the moment, notice, Jesus just kept bringing him back to one important question. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> yeah, but man, haven't you heard? I denied you three times the night you were arrested. We're not here to talk about that, Peter. Yeah, 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 but, but, but don't you realize... When John and I looked in that empty tomb, he seemed to figure it out, but I'm still not sure I know what happened. Hey, we're not here to talk about that. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah but look, I was up here with the disciples, but when I denied you, I fell to here. Peter, we're not here to talk about that. I just want to know, do you love me? See, scripturally speaking, so much, so much boils down to your answer to that simple question. So much of life and family, so much of 2021, so much of motivations, goals, accomplishments, achievements, success, and failures, so much boils down to that simple question, hey, do you love me? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What's he talking about? He's talking about his weakness. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked God, take away my weakness. But then he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So then Paul rethinks. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. What can I do? What can I do if I find my life revolving around all the parts of my personality, my performance, my family, my job, my money, revolving around all the parts of my life that are a little less than best, that could stand some improvement? The answer, work on your love relationship with God. Build a love relationship with God. I wonder what a difference you could experience in 2021 if you were as passionate about your love relationship with Christ as we seem to be about overcoming all of our weaknesses. Here's the last question. Okay, where do I begin? How do I get started? I don't know if you noticed, but in verses 18 to 22 where Peter is questioning what's going to happen to John. Peter is practicing what Stuart Smalley would call stinking thinking, right? Jesus, sounds to me like I'm going to die a horrible death. And church tradition holds Peter did. He was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was crucified. Sounds like I'm going to die a horrible death. What about John? Well, isn't he going to die before you return? Jesus said simply, Peter, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Leave the fate of John. Leave the fate of others to me. You focus on what you have to offer and leave everything else to me. Wow, that's a tough lesson for me to learn. How about you? See, comparison is one of the tools of the enemy. The enemy really wants to get you down. He'll start comparing you to the other family that looks a little brighter. The other employee that looks or appears to be more successful. The other business that seems to be thriving. The other person who looks so healthy and vibrant. Peter said, or Jesus said, Peter, mind your own business. Well, how do I get started? How do I leave this downward cycle of just... Everything revolves around my shortcomings. Here's the answer. You start maximizing your strengths. You do what you can do, and you do it to the best of your ability. Again, isn't this simple stuff? And yet it's life-changing. You know what our history books tell us and the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that Peter went on to be one of two of the most influential men in the first century church. Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter was a man of great authority, a man of great intellect. He wrote two of your New Testament books, most likely three, because not only did he write 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he very likely wrote the Gospel of Mark. That's Peter's Gospel, but Mark actually wrote it down. He preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people made a choice to follow Jesus. Peter preached that sermon. And when he died, he died a hero's death. He was a martyr. He was fighting for the cause until the very end. That's who Peter was. That's what he was good at. And none of this would have been the case had Peter embraced the philosophy that personal weakness disqualifies me from fulfillment. Now, let me make one thing perfectly clear and I'll quit. I'm not standing here today to make you feel good about the things in your life that are out of bounds. I'm not trying to make you feel good about the things in your life that are inappropriate or sinful or immoral or flat-out wrong. I'm not talking about those things. You ought to be working to overcome those things. 
I'm not talking about right or wrong. I'm talking about priorities as they're promoted by secular culture and society. I simply want you to realize that your pursuit to overcome a tendency or a weakness might be the source of your frustration. Further, while you're so consumed with trying to better yourself and change your life, your strengths, those gifts God has given you, are going underdeveloped. And it's our strengths. It's our strengths that provide us with much of our fulfillment, with much of our satisfaction in this life. Look, let me make this very simple. I gave you some homework, and I put it in the program. Here's number one. Sometime this afternoon, I'd love for you to take 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and answer this question. List three ways that you hope to be remembered. Three ways you hope to be remembered. If I were to answer that question, I'd say, I would love to be known as a loving husband. When I die one day and somebody talks on my behalf, I hope they say, man, that guy really loved his wife. I hope that they would say he was an effective minister. And I hope they would say he enjoyed life. He enjoyed life. Now, question two. List three weaknesses that you would most like to overcome. Three areas of your personality, your life, your lifestyle, your job, your career, how you handle money, what kind of parent you are. Three weaknesses you would most like to overcome. Again, I might say, well, I'm not super good at managing people. Never have been. Number two, I'm not gifted with social grace. I'm better on the stage than I am in someone's living room because I have a problem with small talk. And number three, I'm not the smartest guy in the community. I'm just not. Now, here's the big question. Think of those two questions. Here's the big question. How much time, energy, conversation, and anxiety do you spend on number one? How do I want to be remembered? How much time and anxiety, energy, conversation with other people? How many books do you read? How many podcasts do you listen to regarding how you would like to be remembered? Legacy. Now, compare and contrast that to how much time, energy, conversation, and anxiety you spend on number two, trying to overcome those weaknesses. And then the last big question is, how's that working for you? You see, I think most of us would say, this is what I want out of life, but I spend very little time trying to achieve or conquer it. And then we would say, this is how I see myself and perhaps how others see me. These are weaknesses as I perceive them, and I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to overcome those. Look, Peter's failure or his weakness did not disqualify him from the faith walk, and neither does yours. 2021 does not need to revolve around what you should be doing better. But sadly, it will. My encouragement today is to focus on your love relationship with God because that's what matters most. Peter, do you love me? I do, but... It's so weak compared to John's love. Hey, we're not here to talk about John. Do you love me? I do, but man, it feels like I loved you a lot more later, and then I betrayed you. I denied you. I guess I don't love you as much as I thought. We're not here to talk about the past. 
do you love me? Oh, it really bothers me that you've asked me three times. You know what you know. You know that my love for you isn't anything like your love for me. Hey, Peter, that's okay. That's okay. Just follow me. Let's pray. Father, help us this year. With all that we will set out to accomplish, with all that we will try and achieve, as we try and solve problems and build relationships and manage business, God, I pray that we keep it simple and that we put much more effort into the simple principle of building our love relationship with you. We pray these things because we need you in the coming year. Far more than we need to polish up the rough edges of our personality. Far more than we need to sort of straighten out a few crooked things that could be better. Father, help us follow you intently. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you make it a great week. I will see you next time.